Well, it's a great privilege this morning to have the Hurleys here this morning. If, uh, if you've been here for a long time, you know that uh, they've been here at least twice for missions, conferences, and uh, they've been here a couple other times as well. Every time they come, it's a treat. The only thing better than having them come here is when we get to go there. And uh, a number of our people, uh, both here and our two church plants, have gone to Uganda to participate in various aspects of ministry. Uh, my own son, Josh, spent about four months in Uganda with the Hurleys, uh, just learning about missions and, uh, and getting malaria and all the things you have to do when you're there. Um, and so we, we praise the Lord for this dear couple and the work that God has given them to do. Uh, Shannon is not only the founder of SOS Ministries, uh, but he's the husband of Danielle. They have eight children, some adoptive, some biological. Uh, all of them are just wonderful. We've gotten to know them a little bit over this past week. We spent more time with the Hurleys this week than in our entire friendship, I think, uh, just this week. And uh, it's been a real treat for us. And uh, not only is he uh, all of those things, but he is also an excellent, excellent, wonderful expositor of the word. And I know you're going to enjoy listening to him preach this morning, and I know it's going to be biblical and powerful and probably loud. The only thing I asked him not to do is to not stand on the pulpit. That would just rein him in a little bit. But uh, uh, I've benefited personally so much from this brother's ministry, not only his teaching, but his passion for Christ personally and, and personal conversations that have ignited a deeper, uh, hotter flame for Christ in my heart. And I think that will be your experience this morning as, as well. Shannon, would you come? Well, good morning, good morning. How are we? Good. We're praising the Lord. Everybody say amen. amen. God is good, and you're supposed to say all the time. Amen. All the time, God is good. All right, some of you are awesome. Well, what a joy to be here. Just some of you, though. Uh, what a joy to be here with all of you. Let me first start by just having my wife stand. If those of you weren't in Sunday school, this is my bride. And uh, she is unbelievably, I, I just sent her a picture the other day. She has a picture with Elizabeth Elliot. And I said, well, Elizabeth, she, he, she is like an Elizabeth Elliot. And uh, just this godly woman who's faithful and uh, takes it all on. And, and so, so proud of my wife. And it's not a sermon about my wife, so I won't take a lot of time to go on about that. But uh, just a joy to serve with my co-laborer in this life. And uh, such an incredible blessing it is to be inspired by my own wife. My kids are here. Kids, stand up. Come on. There, there, there's four of my, uh, we have eight children. There are four of them. Uh, I've got uh, two that are somewhere else in the States, one that's in college, one that just got married. That's what brought us here to the States. And so my oldest, Emma, just got married. And I have two still in Uganda who are newly adopted and we couldn't get visas. So they're there and, uh, and staying with the family that's there also. I want to make sure the Cup family, come on, Cup, you guys have got to stand, Cup family, just because you laughed at my kids when they had to stand. <laughs> there are the Cup family. Give it up for the Cup family. Come on. Uh, and you guys should cheer for that family. They are so 
dear to us. And our ministry would not be the same without that family. Uh, our lives are not the same without that family in many ways, just because we have built this sweet kinship and uh, deep relationship with them through the years. And so you guys have always been part of us there in Uganda. But when you see the cups, just give them a hug and just tell them they're heroes uh, because they are. We, I, try, I made sure that they got a hero's uh, goodbye when they left Uganda. I had everybody in our village line up from their home all the way to the bus that they were getting on, and I had a marching band <laughs> go before them uh, because they are, they are heroes, and we love them with the deepest affection, and they, they have been through it. They have fought the good fight out there, and uh, it's not easy. Missions is not easy. Uh, Uganda will never fully be our home, and now that we've lived there, it's hard to say that America will fully be our home in some ways. We are on a pilgrimage to a celestial city of which we eagerly wait a savior. Amen? And, uh, and so there is a real sense in which they have so blessed us and we love and adore them. Uh, thank you for sending them to us. Thank you for supporting our ministry. And uh, it's sweet to, to have had years together. And I hope that we have another 50 years together. I know I'm living that long. Uh, so we hope to continue to be serving the Lord for many years in Uganda and just continue to see the fruit that God is bearing there. I want to ask a, a favor of you uh, before we get in the message. I want you to take out a pen, take out a piece of paper, and I want you to write our website, sosministries.com. If you don't put, do com and you do something else, you get something else weird. So go com, sosministries.com. And I want to ask all of you to go there, and when you go there, a thing will pop up for you to get our updates. Please get our updates. We want to encourage you in the Lord, and we want to use those updates to do it. And so please get our updates, and, and even, and you can go to the bottom of our website, and you can, there's a V at the bottom of the website, that's our Vimeo thing, and we've got all kinds of videos that will give you updates on our ministry, we've got sermons there, and, uh, and all kinds of things. Please go there and, and allow us to minister the word to you one way or another. If, uh, if the Lord would put on your heart, we need people to help financially. That's why we march around. We've spent, now we'll have, we've spent two months probably in 20 to 30 different beds just going around telling people about what God's doing in Uganda and asking God's saints to aid us in the work we're doing there. Uh, we get the privilege of living in a world that doesn't have, and we get the opportunity to love them, but it, we can't do this alone. We need others to aid, and so the more you help, the more uh, that enables us to help others. And, and I wish we had time to just tell you story of story after story of lives literally physically saved as well as spiritually saved, and, and people who had never had opportunities getting opportunities. I mean, right now as an organization, we educate 450 kids. 
Uh, not only that, but we help lead a, a Baptist union. We help educate uh, 60 kids, students this next year at Shepherd's Training Center. We have 130 employees that we feed, and we've taken care of them and continue to pay their salaries even this year during COVID. And, and uh, there's just so much going on, and, uh, and it's just nice when we can just do what God has called us to do without the financial constraints, and we would just ask that you would just... Love us by helping support one way or another, no matter what that is within your capabilities. We would greatly appreciate that. But get our updates and, uh, and do that. Now, how many are going to go get our updates? Let's see. Okay, if not, then the rest of you guys are on the naughty list, I guess. Uh, no, but please get our updates, and uh, we would love that. Um, how many are coming to Uganda? Next, next uh, mission trip. Good. All right. Anybody, anyone going to come? Oh, look at this. What a sinful group. No. Uh, we would invite you to come and see what God is doing in Africa. And uh, when I was here 15 years ago, there was this passion for missions. Is that still existing here? Good. Three of you. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, I pray that this is still a mission-impassioned, mission-emboldened church. And uh, in light of that, I want to ask you guys to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I want to read with you starting in verse 9. And then I'm going to, after reading, I'm going to begin with the word of prayer. I want to show you the flow, and I am taking, if you will, in preaching terms, I'm taking two pericopes and bringing them together. That means nothing to you other than two different sections of Jesus' sermon, and I'm merging them together to show you a flow. And I'm doing that with great intention because I believe Jesus had great intention in that also. We start with the Beatitudes, and I'm going to start in the middle of the Beatitudes or at the end of the Beatitudes, and I'm going to take you into the next section. Listen very carefully to the living Word of God. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 9. Blessed are the, help me out, very good, peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been for the sake of, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the feet by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor anyone, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, 
but on a light, light stand, lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning with a desire that you would be greatly exalted, that your name would be made glorious, that your people would be motivated to holy affections and be inflamed in their zeal to know you, love you, and live for you. Living God, we recognize, and it is apparent to all, that we are living in days that are turning darker and darker. That the country that we have lived in is morally on decline. The things that are being promoted are things that you hate. The things that are being even watched by believers today are things that you would never want your children to watch. Lord, we are in days when evil is becoming good. And good is becoming evil. And as a result of that, your word must be heard. Your voice must reign and shine forth. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use me this morning to awaken, enlighten, and embolden your people to be all that you have called them to be. Father, we ask in your grace that you would go before the words spoken, that they would be your words, said your way, and that they would be a voice that would be aided to your people and bring power, O living God, to them. And I pray, Lord, that those that don't know you in this room will be cut to the heart with a sense of their own sin, and that they would bend the knee to you as their master. It is through your Son we pray. Amen. As a missionary, I have lived in Africa for now 15 years. I've had the privilege and joy of serving in that country. And I can, without a doubt, look back across America and I can see it as a foreigner. But I can testify that without a doubt, the world is changing. The America that I left is not the same America today. As a pastor, a Bible student, I can say with great fact that we are closer and closer to the last days when Jesus will come and make all things right. Amen? When our king will finally come and rule from Jerusalem, and my dear friends, he will rule from Jerusalem. 
when I hear the, think of the words of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, when it says this, In the last days, difficult times will come. And why will difficult times come? For men will be lovers of self. When I read that, I can't help but think of selfies, you know. They'll be lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. This is a biblical counseling group, so when you hear the word irreconcilable, what does that make you do? It makes me get depressed because you're always counseling but never seeing any what? Any change. You pass those counselees on to Dan. He loves those. But they're malicious and they're gossips without self-control. Brutal. Haters of good. Treacherous. Reckless. Conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They love pleasure rather than God. They may, but then look at here. Holding to a form of what? Godliness. They hold to a form of godliness, but they live after their pleasures. And as a result of this, the days will become difficult, Timothy is told. In verse 12 of that same chapter, it says this. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How many believe it's the last days? How many believe it's the last days of the last days? I think anybody who has eyes open and an understanding of the biblical text would validate that statement. Well, I want to inform you that according to our Bibles, in those last days, Christians will be persecuted. Anyone desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why? Because, according to the verse, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. For us who can read the signs and observe the media, it is clear that our days are evil and are only getting worse when riots become acceptable and the sexual revolution becomes promoted when pornography and unholy pleasure-seeking becomes the normal expressions of entertainment, we have a problem. In our day, the world is intolerant to only one thing, God and those who uphold the standards of the king. My dear friends, what does this mean to you and I? It means for us who are part of the church, we are going into very dark days, very troubling days, and you must become prepared. 
you must become prepared. Because you will either be forced to join the immoral parade or pay the price for upholding God's moral standards. And my dear friends, for the sake of your families, for the sake of your communities, for the sake of your children, you must uphold God's good and precious law. You must uphold God's glorious name. And therefore, I would suggest you the church is slowly, or maybe I should say rapidly, moving back to the days of persecution. My dear friends, we as Americans growing up always have known the sweet worship and, and church has been promoted and, and God has been op spoken freely. Go listen to, to messages from Ronald Reagan. You would never get away with what Ro Ronald Reagan said in those days. He was like a pastor, not just a president. Our days are not the same. And as a result, the passage here of, in the Sermon of the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, the words here must be heard and must be understood by us who are sitting in this audience. And so what I want to do this morning is to guide our thinking through the text is I want to provide five key words to remember during these last days. Five keywords. How many kids? Five. Good. How many kids? Good. I, some of you, come on, you could still be kids. No problem. Five keywords to remember during these last days. And you say, why remember them? Because they'll give you comfort as you faced the days ahead. The first one is kind of funny and may not be very comforting, but it, it helps with my sermon. First word is characteristics. Characteristics. Actually, it, it is helpful. So different sermon that it wasn't helpful, but this one it's helpful. <laughs> Key word number one is characteristics. If you look at the sermon, the sermon is broken down with verses 3 through 12, providing what are known as Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are essentially characteristics of Christians. What you have in the flow of this text in chapters 1 through 4, Matthew presents Jesus as king. Matthew presents Jesus as king. And then after presenting him as king, Matthew then puts Jesus right in the center of the stage and pr provides this sermon for everybody to hear. And the king stands up essentially in this sermon and declares who is in the kingdom and who is not in the kingdom. He says very clearly, those who are in the kingdom are those who are poor in what? Verse 3, those who are poor in spirit. Those who are in, in the kingdom are those who mourn and those who are gentle, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are those who are in the kingdom. Those whom God has done this work of grace, transforming them from the heart. 
You say, what do you mean by poor in spirit? You mean you're broken internally. You're bankrupt in your own heart because you know your own sin. And as a result of knowing your sin, you mourn. And as a result of mourning, you become gentle to everybody else because you know that they are just in their sin and therefore it creates a graciousness and then there becomes within you this hungering and thirst for righteousness. And you become merciful to others. And, and you all of a sudden have this heart that longs for purity because the Bible says you become a slave of righteousness. And then he gives this next one. You become a, what? Peacemaker, verse 9. And we'll talk about that in a second. But these are all talking about those who are in the kingdom. How do you know that? Because he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They will be satisfied. They will receive mercy. They will see God. They shall be called sons of God. These are telling us who's in the kingdom, who's not in the kingdom. He's identifying those who've been internally changed. Powerful, powerful section. you've been born again, there's an internal work that's happened in your heart, one that can only be displayed by the fingerprints of the living God at work in your own heart and life. And because God has done an internal work in you, it impacts the way you approach others. Look with me in verse 9. Verse 9 says... Blessed are the what? So when God changes you, you then, because you've been changed, you go out and say, oh my goodness, I can't, I, I, I need to tell you, do you guys know about Jesus? Hey, do you know, do you know about Jesus? Oh, we long as Christians to take people out from the bushes of sin and all of that and bring them into God's glorious way because we love them and we care for them. We want them to become at peace with God and peace with one another. That's why the characteristic or the mark of a Christian is someone who has become a peacemaker. We cannot help but be missionaries. We can't help but go out with the message of Christ because we have been changed by it. And therefore we want others to what? Be changed by it. You guys do not answer questions when I ask them. We want others to be changed. If you are not having a burden to evangelize the lost, my dear friend, according to the authority of Jesus Christ, you need to look in your heart and ask yourself, am I born again? Because according to Jesus, this is, these are marks that characterize a believer, those who are in the kingdom. But notice the relationship then between that one and the next one. He continues, not only are we peacemakers, but blessed are those who've been what? Persecuted for the sake of what? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. Notice there is a relationship between being a peacemaker and then being what? Persecuted. 
A Christian is not only a, pers- a, a, a peacemaker, a Christian is someone who is and will be what? Persecuted. Persecution is part of Christianity. So as we enter these last days, we must understand, and you must remember, young people in college and kids, that your life will include persecution. It shouldn't be strange when it comes. It shouldn't surprise you, but should be expected. What should surprise you is when it's not present. It should even alarm you. Why isn't it present? To be a Christian is to be one who suffers. Listen to Philippians 1, 26 and 27 through 29. Listen to what he says. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe, how many as Christians are here that believe? It's been granted not just that you believe, but look at what he says. But also to suffer for his sake. God's calling for you isn't just to believe, but also to what? Suffer. Acts 14, 22 says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Romans 8, 17 says, we are sons of God and fellow heirs of Christ if indeed we suffer with him and so that we may be glorified him. You want to be glorified him? Then you must what? Suffer with him. And we've already looked at 2 Timothy 3.12, which says those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Thomas Watson put it this way. He said the way to heaven is by way of thorns and blood. If you follow Christ, you must see the sword and the wood planks. Interesting. My dear friends, it's... Only the grace of God that has allowed us in America to experience the joy that we have had all these years. Because in the kindness of God, he allowed our constitution to be embedded with God's law. And it's created a sweet purity, a sweet unity all these years between the church and the state. Between the believer and the unbeliever because there's been a morality that's been accepted. Well, that morality is no longer what? Accepted. The rest of the world don't have that. The rest of the world have everybody doing what is right in their own eyes. And if you are to confront immorality, you are called in Luganda a wazaker. You are a goody two-shoe. And you will be persecuted and made fun of because you are shaming them. Or restraining their evil. Or exposing their sin. Embarrassing their own pride. Because their conscience knows it's wrong. But because nobody has said it's wrong, they are therefore okay with it. The day in which we live in today is moving back 
to the days of persecution. And this characteristic should be what characterizes you and me as we approach our living in this world. Which brings us to a second word. The second word is that of persecution. Second word is persecution. Look again with me at verse 10. Blessed are those who have been, what? For the sake of? Everybody, for the sake of? Hmm. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people do what? Insult you one and do what? Two and what? Falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of what? Because of? I want you to see the text and tell it to me because I want you to see God's word, not mine, all right? But because of what? Because of me. You see it. This text reveals that we, tells us how we are persecuted. Look, he says, first of all, how are you going to be persecuted? They will what? Insult you. That is, they'll make fun of you. I'm telling you how they're going to do it so that when it happens, you aren't shocked. They're going to insult you. They're going to make fun of you, shame you, speak unkindly about you. <laughs> you that guy, he's crazy. Two, what are they going to do? They're going to persecute you or literally chase you or pursue you or seek to drive you out is the word's understanding. You're going to have a group of friends, and those group of friends are not going to want you in their presence. They're going to push you outside their community. That may take place at work. You may have a group of individuals, they know you're different, and therefore they don't want you around. When you're not there, they'll make fun of you, or, or they'll make little statements. And then next, also, they're going to push you out of that little community. You may not get that raise you want. You may not get invited to that group party you want. And you're going to, well, but me, like I thought I was cool. and I. No, it's not, it's, your presence is not wanted. Not for bad reason, but because of good reason. Thirdly, he tells us, and they will say all kinds of evil against you. This one hurts. We've seen this over and over in Uganda. People literally making up things about you. I was just, just while I was here, there's one guy that doesn't like me in the Baptist Union. And he just makes things up and promotes it to everyone. I don't need to be surprised. It says it right here, right? That's when they come and they begin to say, they'll just say, ah, you don't realize, but this person, man, they, they lie. Ah, uh, this person, man, you should see what goes on in the, back in the background. In Uganda, in Uganda, they may, ah, that guy promotes homosexuality. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, that guy's giving that money to that guy and bribing him. Really? When? And you're going to be like, wait, that, what, what's going on? And that one hurts because you care about your reputation. And these people are intentionally shaming you. Intentionally destroying your reputation. And when that first happens, you want to chase them down and teach them how not to do that. 
But when you realize what the words of Jesus say here, you realize it's not because of they believe that's true. It's because they don't like you. Or they don't like God in you. That's how they'll persecute you. Of Jesus, they said that he was a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was perfect. I find great joy in the fact that Jesus was called these types of things and he was perfect. Jesus was hung on a cross for loving the world. And he was hung on a cross as a what? A criminal. And he took it, never chased people, never called down the legion of angels to destroy them, but embraced it because he knew that's what it is to be Christ. And here he's telling us that's what it's like to be Christ, what? Followers. Understand that the word Christian actually is a derogatory term used for the disciples of Jesus. It's almost like someone was making fun of them. They were saying, oh, look at the disciples of Jesus, those little Christ. <laughs> That's what they were saying. Today it's become a badge of honor, but in reality, they were living the way Jesus was living, and therefore they were called negatively Christians. This is the road that all of us who love Christ go down. I want you to notice something else that's brought out in this, and that is the why of persecution. Yes, persecution often will result in death for some in very unique situations, but often it's, it comes in forms of insults and these things by being slandered those around you. But why? Why are they doing this? According to verse 10, it's because it is for the sake of what? Look at verse 10. See, if you answer, then I know you're following. Verse 10 says it's for the sake of what? Awesome. Verse 11 says it's because of what? Because of me. Notice, here we see man's depravity. Here we see man's deep sinfulness on display. You see, the challenge with humanity is when two lives collide. And a life of holiness and a life of unholiness cannot coexist. That's why the Bible would say that you can't be married to an unbeliever because you'd be unequally yoked. Things of holiness and things of unholiness, they don't exist. Those lifestyles collide when they meet the end result becomes persecution. Just ask Cain and Abel. According to 1 John 3, 11 through 12, Cain killed Abel because his deeds were righteous. Ask Jesus. It says in verse 15, 25, that they hated me without cause. They hated Jesus without cause. There was no reason for them. How does Jesus come to seek and save the lost and die on a cross? 
more to the story. One of the greatest mysteries is how Jesus loves the world and is killed for loving the world. I used to think when I, before I went to Uganda that if you go into a society and you love them, it will result in them loving you back. <laughs> Not true. My dear friends, it's your righteousness they hate. It's Christ in you they despise. It's not that you're not cool. You're cool. It's how you live. The only explanation for killing meek, merciful, pure-hearted, and, and, and persecuting those who live the way these Beatitudes call us, the only explanation is our righteousness. Our righteousness exposes their lack of righteousness, and their conscience is moved. They see their own sin by you and by your lifestyle. They hate themselves when you're around because you remind them of their need for a Savior. You remind them that they're not right with God. Praise the Lord. Godly behavior will not shield you from suffering. It will be the cause of your suffering. Proverbs 29, 27 says an unjust man is an abomination to the righteous. And he who is upright in the way is abominable to the wicked. If you are upright, you are an abominable. You are hated by the wicked. Psalm 37, 12 says the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. In order to make it, my dear friends, in these days that are coming, as a pastor and as a friend, I want to let you know that you must understand that persecution is part, listen to me, of your calling. Persecution is part of your calling. And you must get to the point where you are with Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 10, and 15, where you say, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, and with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I will testify in my own experience in Uganda, that your light never shines more bright and is never more believed than after persecution because it will validate the truthfulness of who you are. Which brings us to the third key word. The third key word is identity. It is what? Identity. 
How many, when you hear those words persecution, you get excited? Anyone? <laughs> yes, all right. Nobody. How many, when you hear those words, you get scared? Two of you? Come on. Those words are naturally scary. They're frightening. And it begs the question, why would we as Christians allow, continue to uphold these moralities? Why would we continue to allow, be willing to be persecuted or mistreated? Well, the answer is found in verses 13 through 15. Look at these words here. He states two facts, and they're followed by an exhortation in verse 16. Fact number one is you are what? Salt of the? Fact number two in verse 14 is you are what? You are the light of the world. We'll look at the exhortation in a second. The most obvious answer for the question of why Christians take on persecution, listen, it's because of this. That is who you are. That's who you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And you can't help but be who you are. That's why Jesus comes here and he declares very clearly who you are. The emphasis here is you. You are this. You are this. Those who are pure in heart, those who mourn, those who are peacemakers, those who are persecuted are salt of the earth. By nature of your new identity, by becoming a follower of Christ, you have become the salt of the earth. You have become the light of the world. At the moment of the transformation from darkness to what? Light. At the moment where you become a slave of sin to a slave of obedience, Romans 6. At the moment that the sin comes out and the Spirit of God comes in, there is this work, there is this change. You become salt. You become light. Woo! Amen? Become a new identity. You are transferred from the darkness to light. My dear friends, you have no choice but to have a new identity. You say, what do you mean salt? What, what do we mean by the fact that you become salt? Well, salt is of little value today. Some of us love salt, even though I'm told it's not very good for you. I still love it, but anyhow. In that day, it, was, it wasn't just a seasoning for our eggs in the morning. It was actually an antiseptic to fight against bacteria or decay. Specifically, it would fight against the growth of germs or organisms entering into meat. So therefore, it, present, it prevented diseases. So it was of great value. And Jesus uses this common knowledge example of salt to describe the function that you and I as believers have in this world. 
the function we have is just like salt does to meat. We fight against decay. We push back the corruptions of the decay of sin. By living out who we're supposed to be, we hinder the spread of sin's decay into this world. Understand that without the church, without Christianity, without the transformation of lives, the world does not get better, it gets worse. History has shown that. Humanity has, starts with a, a perfect created garden and destroys it, right? Not only that, but we then restart at the flood and it goes quickly to the Tower of Babel. Israel starts up as a pure holy nation and before you know it, they're being kicked out of the land because they become like all the other nations. We know how this age will go as well. We will get, the church will not restrain sin. Rather, the world will become like, the church will become like the world. But it is the assembly of the disciples of Christ. It is God's people living God's way that restrain the evil in our society. If we fail to do our jobs, you become useless according to Jesus. No good. All that you become is, if the salt loses its saltiness, it no longer has any what? Value. It becomes useless. Ineffective salt is just thrown on the streets and trampled by men. Left to open insult. And so is the church that fails to live out its identity. Fails to live out who they are. What does it mean to be the light of the world? Everybody loves light. And come to Uganda and you will love light. You'll love electricity. You will love a lot of things. <laughs> we love light. We have it on our phones. We have it on our cars. We have it on our planes, our bikes, inside homes and outside of homes. We have light everywhere. Why do we love light? Anyone? It dispels darkness. Because where light is, darkness what? Dissipates. It flees. Where light appears, darkness is, vanishes. In the same way that salt retards decay, light retards or pushes back what? Darkness. Jesus is saying, you are light. You are light. You are salt. The nature of our relationship to Jesus Christ makes us the light of the world. He resides within us and therefore produces light. Without Jesus' disciples, the world is in complete darkness. And so therefore, dear friends, listen and be very clear on it. The hope of our societies is not political. 
It is not social reform. It's not the right precedent. The hope of the world are Christians living out their identity as Christians. It's you being who you are. It's you living out godliness in the midst of this society. That's how we change the world. That's what you living out your identity will retard darkness, retard sin. Listen, understand what he's saying there. Look at verse 15. 14, it says, A city on a hill cannot be what? Can't be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a blanket. Anybody do that? But on a lampstand, and it gives light to all the world. Imagine me coming into your home. I come into your home. I'm a visitor. I walk into Dan's house, and all the lights are on. But on every light, he's got a blanket. What would you think? You think, Dan, you are weird. Because nobody turns a light on and then puts a blanket over it. Are you okay? A city that's lit on a hill, can you not have it be seen? Answer, no! No! And that's his point. A lamp is designated to be put on a light stand to shine, not to have a blanket over it. Not to be hidden. In the same way you are born in Christ for a purpose, to shine. To shine. That's why you are a Christian. That's why you're born again. That's why Christ resides within you, so that you'll shine and that the world might see God through you. To not live righteous is to not let your light shine. Oh, dear friends, remember Moses coming down after the presence of God and the people couldn't handle seeing Moses' light. And so they put a blanket over him. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Just see 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 14. Rather, we are to, with unveiled face, let our light shine to the world. And we're only to shine with greater and greater and greater brilliance as we live in Christ Jesus. Amen? Which brings us to the fourth word. The fourth word is shine. Oh, dear friends. He goes from telling us facts about who we are to this great and glorious exhortation. It makes us, it's going to want to make us want to sing. Shine, Jesus, shine. What is his exhortation? Look at it, verse 16. Let your light, what? Shine. Let it shine. Therefore, his exhortation is clear. Shine, shine, shine. Live out who you are. Be who you are. Don't be ashamed. Don't live like the world. Live the way God has called you to live. Amen and amen. Oh, dear friends, 
shine. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see what? They may see your good works and glorify your Father who is where? Where is He? Oh, dear friends, what an awesome sermon. Don't you be ashamed. Don't you cower down. Don't you become corrupted and start yelling at everybody like the world does. Live differently. Let your light what? Let your light shine. We don't watch what the world watches. We don't do what the world does. Because we are committed to let our light shine. Go out and be the salt and light Despite the persecution, despite the insults, let your light shine. Live out who you are. Don't become useless salt that's trampled by men. Don't become stupid and, and let your light that's on a hill be hidden under a basket. And said, courageously, valiantly, let your light shine. Unashamedly, live out who God has called you to be. How are we to be salt and light? Very clear. By our good deeds. By our what? In the context, we know that these good deeds are the righteous deeds spoken about right there in verse 10. The righteousness mentioned. They're the living out the Beatitudes. When you're gentle and respond with graciousness, and you take on insults, and you live with purity and holiness in your personal life, you then let your light shine. As the situation goes on, it also becomes apparent we don't murder by hating people. And we don't lust after women who are not our wives. And so on and so on. The clear exhortation is to live godly in the midst of a corrupt and wicked society. That's the clear exhortation. Philippians 2 gives the same charge in verses 14 and 15. To not, let, not be grumbling or complaining, but to do things all with all things without grumbling and complaining. So that you may prove to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a corrupt and perverse generation. Among whom we are to appear as lights of the world. How are you to appear in this world? A light. You aren't to act like the world. You're to act differently. 1 Peter 2.12 gives the same exhortation. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, among the unbelievers, so that in the thing in which they slander you, they may, because of your good deeds, 
as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Ephesians 5, 8 through 13 gives the same idea. Walk as children of the light. My brothers and sisters, we must live differently. It will come at a cost, but live out who you are. Before I give you the last word, I want you to understand the goal of your good works. And the reason I want to make sure that you understand it is because Jesus makes sure you understand it. He talks about righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. <clears throat> and in chapter 6, he starts a whole section on making sure you do not do your righteousness before what? Men to be noticed, 6-1. Let me just say in a Christian society like this, the temptation is to do your righteousness before what? Don't you dare do that. Jesus says. And you can read that in 6.1. He gives three examples there. When we give, when we pray, when we fast, don't you do it like the rest of the world. Instead, you're to do something different. You can come to the church plant, and I'm preaching the next message after that, there this afternoon, just to bait you in. Those who were Godly, but don't do that for me. Just kidding. <laughs> but instead, what is he? He tells us how we're to do our good deeds. He says, do them in such a way that they will glorify who? Look with me in verse 16. You're, so that you're, you may see your good works and glorify what? Oh, guys, may what we do, do it. To bring glory to God. It's interesting when you look at the greatest evangelistic impact that our families. Just look at First Peter or Colossians. After telling us to let our light shine, he then tells us how. By submission to the government. By submission to our families. Wives submitting to husbands. The greatest testimony we will have are our families living and acting differently. Make sure your marriage is solid. You're in love with your wife. You adore her. Make sure that you love your children. You're shepherding them and caring for them. And do it in a way that doesn't point to yourself, but points to our master. My family is the way my family is because of one thing. There's a king that I follow. My marriage is the way my marriage is is because I really take seriously love my wife as Christ loves the... There's no greater calling than that, men. And to not love our wife in that way is to not follow the king. Wives, the Bible is serious when he says submit unto our husbands as unto the... See, you thought you were going to get off, huh? But we do that as unto the, that we might glorify our master who is in heaven. That brings us 
for the final. But let me read this passage, and I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says that our lives are not our own, but we've been bought with a price. Therefore, we must what? Glorify God with our bodies. Young people, what you put in will be what comes out. I recognize that pornography is easily accessible, but that's not who you are. Don't give yourself to this. That's not who you are. But rather, your body has been purchased by Jesus Christ. Therefore, what you see and what you do belong to Him, and therefore you must let your light shine. That you might live differently in this day. That brings us now to the last word. The word blessed. The word blessed. And we won't take long here. But I want to end it on good news. Look what he says in verse 12. Rejoice and be. First of all, go to verse 11. Blessed are. Okay, go to verse 10. Blessed are those who've been what? Persecuted. Verse 11. Blessed are you when people what? Insult and persecute you. Verse 12, look at this. Rejoice and be for your what? Your reward in heaven is what? Great. Literally rejoice. Skip and jump with happy excitement. <laughs> That's the idea. To persecution? No, not to persecution. But to the reward that comes ahead to the reward ahead which is going to be exceedingly great in heaven I'm not a missionary in Uganda because it's funner I'm in a, mission, a missionary in Uganda because my life can be used greater. It's hard. It's very hard. But our reward in heaven will be great. And I believe it. My dear friends, Paul said that I suffer for a little while, then I have rest. That's what he says in Romans 8. I'll just read it. For I consider, verse 18, Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present world or time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. When Jesus spoke to his disciples, he said <clears throat> in Mark 9, 29 through 30, he says, all of us, <clears throat> that whoever has left house or or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, will receive a hundred times as much in the age to come. 
My dear friends, we can rejoice because the reward is great in the future. That's why we're like Jesus. We don't look at the present. We look at the joy set before what? Us. And therefore we despise the shame because we know there's joy set ahead. Let me ask you, as the days get darker, are you getting brighter? That should be our prayer. And I even want to say to you, you cannot get brighter without an ongoing, vibrant abiding in Christ. You must love him more the darker the days become. And media's got us, don't they? Put these aside. And let's abide with Christ and let us let our light, what? Shine. Live out who you are as salt and light. You will be persecuted because that's who you are. Because you're peacemakers. But in the end, rejoice exceedingly you're not the only one there were prophets who went before you let's pray Father I just pray that this word of encouragement from your son would ring in our minds Father I pray that we would help the community around us be convicted, see their own sin. I want to pray that you would help us with greater boldness live out and stand up for what is right and true. Father, don't let us run. Help us prove to ourselves who we are by being salt and light. Father, help us live out our calling and embrace the cost of it, knowing that in the end, it's worth it. Father, thank you for making us lights. Thank you for making us salt. Thank you for giving us this calling. May we glorify you with these bodies. For the praise, glory, and honor of your name we pray.